Hi there, and welcome to a new episode of Stories That Made Us. We, in this first series, talk of the tales of our origin, the creation myths of civilizations, tribes, and cultures from around the world. This episode showcases two such tales of the Navajo and the Mandan Native Americans, both in the United States. These tales are two of the many Native American stories that we've covered over the past months. Check out episode 1 for tales of the Achomali, Atsugevi, and Akoma Puebla. Episodes 4 and 6 recount the stories of various Apache and Algonquian-speaking tribes respectively, while episode 9 features the Arikara and the Arapaho. You'll find the fascinating stories of the Cherokee, Kado, and Cheyenne in episode 12, and the Creek, Crow, and Diegenio in episode 15. We then recounted the myth of the Hopi in episode 21. The last two episodes on Native Americans do feature in the podcast were the Joshua and the Kiowa in episode 31, and the Lenape, Luisenio, and Maidu in episode 33. Now that plugging previous episodes is out of the way, let's begin with the creation myth of the Navajo. The stories told today have been collected from David A. Leeming's wonderful book, Creation Myths of the World. Details are in the description of the episode. The largest of the Native American nations is the Dine, which means the people, or the Navajos, as the Spanish first called them. These Athabascan-speaking people were close relatives of the Apache, whose tales we covered in episode 4, and were, relatively speaking, latecomers to the Dineta, a vast homeland in the Four Corners region of the American Southwest. Recent scholarship suggests they may have arrived as early as 1000 CE. They remained until they were expelled from the area in 1864 by a force led by Kit Carson and were forced to make the decimating long walk to Fort Sumner on New Mexico and Texas border. There, they lived the life of miserably treated prisoners for four years and it was not until 1868 that those who were left were marched back to a greatly reduced reservation in the Dineta. The Navajo were, and remained, different from their Native American neighbors. Unlike the cliff-dwelling Anasazi, or the Old Ones, and their Hopi and Pueblo descendants, the Navajo have traditionally been herders, who live in small family compounds made up of hogans, which are small dome structures that stand as microcosms of the harmonious way of life, the beautiful rainbow way of which the Navajos often speak. The mythology of the Navajo contains elements borrowed from their neighbors, whose cultures had been established in the southwest for centuries before the Navajo arrived. It is a complex mythology associated with rituals. There are inevitably several variations of any given Navajo myth because, unlike the Hopi, Zuni, Akoma, 
and Rio Grande Pueblo peoples, they have not tended to live in the large concentrated village groups that are more conducive to orthodoxy in myth and ritual. The creation myth itself exists in several versions as sung by various sacred singers or shamans. Still, there is a basic consistency due to Dine mythology that transcends the details. The myths are passed on orally from old to young shamans and are treated with the respect reserved for sacred texts in any culture. The Navajo myths are a history of the people and an expression of the right way. Their creation story is an emergence myth. It begins with the dark first world, or as it turns out, the underworld. Above that first world was another domed world, and another, and still another, before our world, the fifth world. The people made their way through these worlds, evolving by the fourth world into the people as we know them. Above our present world, there is thought to be the sixth world of perfect harmony. This then is the Navajo story of our origin. The First World, an island floating in the endless oceans, domed by the Hogan-like sky and secured by the four directions, was populated by the insect people. They really were more like insects than what we think of as people. Morning for them was when white came up in the east and day was blue in the south. Evening was yellow in the west and night was black in the north. The gods of the insect people lived in the surrounding seas. Now these were water monster in the east, the blue heron in the south, the frog in the west, and the white mountain thunder in the north. The insect people were quarrelsome. They recognized no sexual taboos and paid no attention to the warnings of their gods. The gods told them to leave the first world and forced them to do so by creating a great flood which covered the first world. The insect people flew up to the hard sky and through a hole in the east they entered the second world which was blue. Now the second world was populated by the swallow people who lived in strange rough houses with holes in their tops. After searching the world in vain for people like themselves, the insect people made friends with the swallow people and lived with them. But one day, an insect sexually assaulted a swallow. And once again, the insects were expelled from the world. This time, the second world. Led by the locust, they flew to the top of the second world until Nilch E, the wind, appeared and told them how to find in the south the entrance to the third world, which was yellow. In the third world, the insect people discovered the grasshopper people who lived in holes in the ground. After searching in vain for people like themselves, they befriended the grasshoppers and lived with them. 
As in the Second World, however, they upset the harmony by way of sexual assault and once again were ordered to leave. They flew up to the sky and after searching for an exit, they were led to an opening in the west. This is how they came to the fourth world. Now the fourth world was black and white. There was no sun, moon or stars and no real day. There were four mountains, one on the horizon of each of the directions. There did not seem to be inhabitants, but local scouts reported that they had, in fact, found people in the north who lived in houses and who grew things in the fields. These were the Pueblo people, the Kisani, who visited the insect people and offered them kindness and food. The insect people vowed amongst themselves not to make the mistake here that they had made in the other worlds, and things went well for them for quite a time. Then they were visited for four days in succession by four strange beings who made incomprehensible signs. These four strange beings were the white body, blue body, yellow body, and black body. On the fourth day, black body explained to the insect people that the gods wished to make more people, but ones that looked like themselves, without the odd faces and the foul smells of the insect people. Black body instructed the insects to bathe themselves and await the return of the gods in twelve days. The insect people bathed themselves on the morning of the twelfth day and dried themselves with cornmeal, white for males and yellow for females. Then the gods called out as they approached, appearing on the fourth call. The gods blue body and black body carried buckskin, while white body and yellow body carried one yellow and one white ear of corn. The gods performed a sacred ceremony during which supernatural mirage people appeared. The yellow ear of the corn became a woman and the white ear of corn became a man. The wind came and gave breath to these beings. The gods instructed the insects to make a brush hogan for the first man and first woman who lived together as husband and wife. After four days, first woman gave birth to hermaphrodite twins, that is twins that possessed both male and female attributes. After four more days, she produced another set, a boy and a girl. Five sets of twins in all were born, and in each case, they became fully grown in four days, and except for the hermaphrodites, each set lived together as husband and wife. First man, first woman and each set of twins were taken at four-day intervals to the home of the gods in the east and were taught the mysteries of life, including witchcraft. They were taught how to wear masks in certain ceremonies and how to pray for necessities. 
They learned to impersonate the talking god, the house god, and many others. They also learned to keep their incestuous marriages a secret, to marry outside of their own immediate family, and to marry among the insect people. Soon, they inhabited the land. They built dams and planted fields, like the Kasani or the Pueblo. One of the hermaphrodite twins invented pottery, and the other, the wicker water bottle. The people also learned to hunt, and with the help of the gods, they learned to use deer heads as masks to make the hunt more successful. One day, the sky, or Father Sky, and the Earth, or Mother Earth, seemed to slam together. And when they separated, Coyote and Badger appeared. Coyote hung about the people's farms, and the Badger went into the hole to the lower world. Meanwhile, the Kisani or the Pueblo chief taught the people about the four sacred mountains, Mount Blanca in the east, Mount Taylor in the south, the San Francisco peaks in the west, and Mount Hesperus or the Navajo mountain in the north. Then the people began to quarrel. First woman accused first man of being lazy and of only working in order to bed her. We do not need you. We do not need you men, said the first woman. So it was that the men and women separated and lived on opposite sides of the river. The men persuaded the Kisani people, both men and women, to come to their side and they took all the tools with them. During the first winter, both sides, the men and the women, did well. The men worked hard to provide for themselves in their new place, and the women lived on the stores of the old settlement. Now the women sometimes came to the river and teased the men. Over the next few years, however, the fields of the men did well, while the women slacked off. Soon, the women were starving, and they no longer taunted the men across the river. Many women tried to swim across, but were taken by the water monster. Finally, the men allowed the women to cross over, and after cleansing ceremonies, the men and women came together again. Two young girls, however, were taken by the water monster on the way over. With the help of the gods and their mysterious ceremonies, the people went under the waters and found the lost children with water monster and two of the monster's own children in the north room of many colors. The people were allowed to take their children, but Coyote, who had descended with them, stole the children of Water Monster. Since Coyote always kept his rope closely wrapped around him, he was able to conceal his theft from the people. But the wrath of the Water Monster was not hidden. Soon, a great flood came. 
The people were protected from the flood only at the last minute. A strange old man and his son appeared and hid the people in a huge reed. Since Turkey was at the bottom of this reed, his tail feathers got wet at the tip and turned white, as they remain today. The people sent scouts to the sky to seek a means of escape from the fourth world. It was Locust who finally succeeded in digging through to the fifth world. But the water followed the people up the reed and began to enter the fifth world too. Only when the children of Water Monster were discovered and thrown down the hole did the water subside. After the flood, the people looked about for food. The Kisani or Pueblo people had brought some corn kernels and some of the people threatened to take the new corn. Eventually, the Pueblo people and the Navajo people took their own corn and went their own ways. First man, first woman, black body and blue body then made the world of Tinata. They re-established the sacred mountains, made the male rain or hard rain and the female rain or soft rain and brought up the gods from the fourth world. Finally, they made the sun and the moon and there was light in the fifth world. That ends the Navajo tale. It should be understood that the creation story, the very centre of Navajo mythology, is meant to accompany particular rituals, especially curing rituals and other rites of a new beginning. To hear the whole Dine creation, one would have to attend a blessing way, the nine-day ceremony that is the holiest of Navajo ceremonies. In the blessing way, the creation is not only chanted, it is reflected microcosmically in the Hogan in which the ceremony takes place and is visually recreated in elaborate but temporary sand paintings, the colours, directions and figures of which represent the basic principles on which the universe is based. The Navajos have no temples or kivas, which are underground religious spaces of the Pueblo people. But the Hogan and the sand painting are more than adequate as sacred and symbolic space. The Navajo creation myth, or Dine Bahane, is a great mytho-historical epic of a branch of Native North America. In terms of its complexity, it can be compared to the Genesis, it establishes a people in a geographical, historical and religious space and it contains most of the great themes that mark creation myths from all over the world. It shares with the American Pueblo people the myth of emergence. The coyote trickster role in creation points back to the Central Asian origins of the Athabascans. The flood theme here is shared with most of the world, as are the themes of the four directions and animals in creation. 
History is reflected in the interactions in the myth between the emerging Navajos and the already present Kisani or Pueblo people, from whom the Dine did in fact learn a great deal, even as the two groups struggled against each other. The myth also uses humor to reflect the nature of social and sexual relationships between men and women in the Navajo Nation. Now then, let us turn our attention to the story of the Mandan. The Mandan, who probably originated in the eastern area of what became the United States, settled in North Dakota. There, they were ravished by diseases introduced by whites, and eventually, all but died out. Their creation myth is influenced by the religion of Catholic missionaries who converted them in the 18th century. The figure of Lone Man is related to Christ, as is the World Tree, the Axis Mundi that is at the center of the Mandan ceremonies. Let us now hear their tale of our origin. First, there was water and darkness everywhere. There was the Creator and his companion, the Lone Man. As they were walking about on the waters, the Creator and Lone Man met a small being that turned out to be a duck. They asked the animal how she managed to live, and she explained that she took sustenance from something under the waters. The Creator asked her to show him the food, and she dove to the depths and returned with sand. The Creator and Lone Man decided to create land from the sand. Leaving some water between them, the Missouri River, they began creating. North of the river, the Creator made lakes. Northern animals like the elk, deer, antelope, deep valleys and high mountains. There was ample material for food and shelter for both humans and animals. In the south, Lone Man made a country of plains with few lakes and rivers, along with animals such as the beaver, muskrat and cattle of different kinds. Then, the Creator and Lone Man discussed their creations. The Creator did not much like the Lone Man's flat and somewhat forbidding landscape. It was not as suitable as his for providing food, clothing and shelter. The Creator's animals seemed better adapted to the elements. Lone Man suggested that people could make use of Creator's superior creation first, but that later, his might become useful. And so it happened. The rest of the story tells how Lone Man entered the world of humans as a savior, teacher and culture hero. The version that follows is based on a conversation in the 1920s between an old Mandan woman and ethnologist Martha Warren Beckwith. More details on the transcript is provided in the description of the episode. 
Now this is what the old man and woman had to tell to Martha Warren Beckwith. Lone man saw that the humans he had created were doing well to a point, but he was upset by the evil spirits who were plaguing them. So he decided to live on earth as a human being himself. Lone man needed a virgin to serve as his mother, and he chose one from a humble Mandan family. One day, the young virgin was eating corn. So Lone Man became a kernel of corn, which the girl ate and promptly became pregnant. The girl's confused parents, noticing her pregnancy, questioned her. The girl denied ever having been with a man, but remembered that she had felt something strange inside of her when she had recently eaten corn. The parents realized that the conception was something holy and miraculous. Soon, the virgin gave birth to a child who was perfect in all ways. As he grew up, he was known as a peacemaker. He never married. One day, the people prepared for their annual boat trip to an island to collect a plant called Matabaho. The boat was magical in that it moved by itself without any rowing on the part of the twelve men who were assigned to make the voyage. The voyage was extremely dangerous, and it was thought that any more than twelve men in the boat would bring bad luck. So when at the last moment, the young man, who in reality was the lone man, got into the boat, the twelve men already in the boat and the people on the shore objected. Nevertheless, the young man insisted and the boat left the harbour. What followed was a series of attempts on the part of the evil spirits to attack the boat. Some came out of the water and tried to capsize the boat. Some, disguised as willow trees along the shore, turned into youths who tried to wrestle with the man. In every case, lone man fought the spirits, and when a whirlpool attempted to swallow them, lone man stood up and reminded it that it was he who had created it and the sea. Immediately the waters calmed down. Many other evil attacks were made on the boat, but lone man always prevailed. Finally, the boat reached the island that was its goal. The chief there was an evil man named Manage. Realizing what would happen, Lone Man put a bulrush into his mouth so that anything he ate or drank would pass through him without being ingested. The chief ordered a great feast for the visitors and demanded that they eat it all. There was so much food that had they eaten it all, the twelve men and lone man would have died. Lone man ordered the men to eat only a little bit and to pass the rest on to him. He pretended to eat the food, but actually he disposed of it through the inserted bulrush. Next, 
Manage offered the men a smoke, using tobacco that he was sure would kill them. Lone men warned the men to take only light puffs and to pass the huge pipe along to him. He puffed on the pipe until all the tobacco was gone, but the smoke travelled in and out of his body by the way of the bulrush and did no harm. By now, the islanders were suspicious that the mysterious 13th man must, in fact, be lone man. The chief ordered the men's bags to be filled with the matabaho, the very plan they had come to find. He gave an impossibly heavy bag to the 13th man, who was of course the lone man, who flung it easily over his shoulders. Now, the chief exclaimed, You must be lone man. The chief then said he would visit the Mandans in four years time. The party then left the island and headed back home. When they reached home, Lone Man told the people how to make ceremonies in his honour and how to protect themselves against the flood that the island chief would bring in an attempt to destroy them. He told them to construct a round fortress in the centre of the village. In the fortress, they were to place a painted cedar tree next to which they were to burn incense. The cedar is my body, he told them. The cedar and the fortress would protect them from the flood that was to come. After he had instructed them, Lone Man left, promising to return one day. When the evil chief arrived and attempted to flood the Mandans, the fortress and the sacred cedar of Lone Man protected them, and the evil waters subsided. That is the end of this week's episodes. Listen to the creation myths of the other tribes, cultures, and civilizations in the previous episodes. As I alluded to earlier, we have covered many of the Native American tribes in the podcast. Check out episodes 1, 4, 6, 9, 12, 21, 31, and 33 if you'd like to hear more. I'd urge you to listen to episode 4 in particular, for there we covered the tales of the Apache, who are quite close to the Navajo. Finally, Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and a feedback. We are quite active on Twitter and Instagram, so why not connect with us by using the handle at StoriesTHTMDEUS for both Twitter and Instagram. You may also email us at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com. I'll see you again next week. Until then, goodbye.